You're listening to Impulse to Innovation. The Institution of Mechanical Engineers podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Helen Mees. As a global community of mechanical engineers with over 120,000 members in 140 countries, the Institution of Mechanical Engineers has been at the heart of the engineering profession since 1847. The Institution's mission is to improve the world through engineering by sharing the latest news, views and insight into the creative world of technology and the people that make it happen. In this month's episode, we are focusing on the brewing and distilling industry, which is part of the hygienic process industry sector. This sector covers industries such as food, pharma and biotech. Brewing and distillation have been part of our way of life for over a millennia, with the earliest records of both processes being found in Mesopotamia. If you're interested in finding out more about brewing and distillation, I've added some links into the episode notes. While the methods of both brewing and distilling have largely remained unchanged over time, refinements to the processes by which the raw ingredients are handled and combined has resulted in a multitude of flavours and colours of both alcoholic and now non-alcoholic drinks. Despite the unprecedented impact on the global hospitality sector as a result of the COVID pandemic, appetite for beers and spirits remains strong. Today's brewing and distilling manufacturers rely on a raft of complex technologies covering raw materials handling, production and waste handling. In each of these, accurate control of product flow is essential to ensure the final product quality is consistently high. This requires multidisciplinary teams covering chemistry, biology and even agriculture to ensure products reach the market in a consistent and safe way for the consumer. But where does the engineer come into this? Well, process optimization and increased efficiency have been a priority for many brewing and distilling companies over recent decades, and process engineers have been central to those improvements, developing technologies such as online process control, in-place cleaning and energy recovery from steam or fermentation, as well as gaining a greater understanding of fluid flows. Even before a brewery or distillery is built, the engineers are working to understand the requirements, such as grain capacity, the size and number of cookers and fermenters, and the type of still in the case of distilling, as well as the basic piping design and sizing. And most important of all, electrical and mechanical engineers determine the power requirements for conveyors to move the grain, mills for grinding, agitators for cooking, fermenters and beer tubs, as well as the countless pumps and motors that move the fluids throughout the facility. It's safe to say that we wouldn't be able to imbibe our favourite tipple today without the input of process engineers. My guests today are George Crombie, Engineering Director of Briggs of Burton. He is responsible for all engineering and automation activities at Briggs and has worked on a number of high-profile global projects across brewing, distilling, spirit storage and packaging, both in foods and pharmaceuticals. George is a Fellow of the IMACE and a member of the Institute of Brewing and Distilling. Marina Ferreira is a chemical engineer. She is a technical specialist and laboratory manager in the food and beverage division at PAL Corporation. Marina is passionate about craft brewing and is a home brewer herself. 
In her work, she develops methods for filtering brewing products for her customers to enable them to create new and improved products. I started by asking George about his route into process engineering and his role as engineering director. George, thank you so much for joining me today. It's great to have you on the show. In my introduction, I talked about the history of process engineering and the company you work for has some real history behind it, hasn't it? It was founded in 1732 and is one of the oldest process engineering companies in the world. That, that's some serious history, right? Yeah, no, it's, it's impressive. Um, you've been in, in Burton-on-Trent, um, home of brewing, um, ever since then, really, servicing the needs of, of breweries. Um, and then latterly, that's, that's changed into distilleries as well. Yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic history to be kind of part of, I suppose. And and as a young engineer, what what really got you interested in in the whole process industry, and and why specifically did you go into kind of the brewing and distilling industry specifically? And um, it's been a lot long journey, I guess. Really, right from when I was a, a child, I've been always interested in in tinkering things uh, with things and. and being doing doing engineering um, topics really so at school um, there was quite a lot of STEM activities and I was also lucky enough that my dad um, was also an engineer um, so he was chief engineer at Green King um, one of the uh, big regional oh, brewers right, brewers yeah. um, in East Anglia um, so there was quite a few weekends and things when I used to go in um, with him see some of the big crane lifts going in when they were putting in in vessels um and and things like that which then led on from there to to me having a real interest and and passion for engineering um moving on through education um and then getting some work experience with with briggs um the company i work for for now it's a a common route for um for engineers for us as a company um bringing people all the way through from work experience or apprentices um or graduates through from there really and then just working my way through the ranks um, to where I am today, which has taken me to lots of interesting places, challenging projects um, all over the world, really, from from Mexico to China to, to the US. So it's been a, a great journey, really interesting. Um, and it's just nice to work with, in the industry. There's a lot of really good atmosphere and, and passion amongst all the people in it, really. Yeah, it sounds like your route's very similar to mine with that that father figure who kind of led you into into the profession and, and it's always really nice to hear. But I'm really interested to find out more about your role as engineering director and what that involves and how you get involved in some of these big projects. Well, it's an incredibly varied role, um, really. So we're not a we're not a huge company um, as part of it. So working in any sort of, I guess, large SME, really, um, it, it can be quite varied. Um, and I'm basically responsible for all of the engineering activities um, at Briggs, um, whether that be in our stainless steel or copper uh, manufacturing workshops, where we're building some of the um, equipment and the stills for um, distilleries, we're handcrafting those or all of the design and engineering, the process engineering work that, that we do to develop um, the schemes and the designs for the projects that we then go on to um, construct around the world. Um, every day is, is varied, as I say, different clients, different locations, different problems that we have on, on projects. There's definitely no, no project that uh, ever goes through without any, any hiccups as part of it. And that, that sort of influences every single day, really. Um, of what we, what we do. 
yeah, I think as engineers, that's that's a kind of natural thing is, you know, every day is different, isn't it? And it's it's always going to be a challenge. Now, for, for some of our listeners, the, the idea of having mechanical engineers working in, in brewing and distilling might be quite a strange one, but but the amount of technology that goes into a modern day distillery is is pretty significant, and I'm I'm guessing we could say that the industry couldn't function without it these days. So, what kinds of technologies would we expect to see in a modern brewery or distillery? Well, so you're firstly, really, I think you're you're absolutely right. Te- there's technology everywhere um, in a distillery, whether it's the the basic technology of pumps valves heat exchangers and all of the things that we need to move the liquids and and solids around um, any of the processes that that we're doing but but as we are responsible as engineers from taking the grain that comes in taking it all the way through to effectively the glass um, that it goes in so whether that be the initial processing through to the storage the packaging um, of all of these things there's really unique challenges throughout the the whole process that that we find and really, I guess the two the two areas of technology really feature either about making better quality products, or in a, in a better way and meeting what the needs of the customer is, or more importantly, probably at the moment, is around the the energy saving and the carbon neutrality sustainability aspects um, of the projects we're we're doing. But it it all starts listening to the customer. Um, to understand what what they want, and that's very different for each of the sectors um, and each of the customers that that we we work with. Really, um, automation is a big thing. Um, obviously, has been um, a big thing for for many years, and really see it coming to the fore. We've just had obviously during the the pandemic and things, really using that technology and automation to help us remotely startup plants even now so we've been commissioning projects now um, on the other side of the world where we haven't been able to fly engineers to it um, which is something which is a, a bit of a, a first for us yes we always used to design things remotely and and work with our customers remotely but never had we we commissioned things um, remotely before the, the technology actually in the process looking at decarbonizing um, plant um, for our customers at the moment, really big thing um, at the moment. And that that consists of either using some of the co-products that are produced in these um, in distilleries or, or breweries to perhaps run the boilers um, as part of it, perhaps provide an alternative fuel source um, in, a, in a biomass mass boiler or something like that, or just simply the reuse of energy, the storage of hot water. There's a lot of hot water generated in, in brewing and distilling that you've got to find uses for so you're not you don't just put it down the drain and then being able to take that hot water sometimes and put in other technologies that that recycle it so we use a lot of thermal vapor recompression or high temperature heat pumps um, in our projects to to recycle that energy and to to get to plants that are designed to be carbon neutral completely Um, that's the aim and that's where we we want to get all of the plants to um, in the coming years well, yeah, I was I was going to ask you um, a bit more about that. I was I read with quite a lot of interest about the work that your company had been doing in the biofuels uh, industry. So you're using your long history of process engineering to create a commercialised bioethanol plant using fermented products and waste materials. Is this crossover from the long established brewing and, and distilling industry to, into renewable processes? Is this something that we're going to see more of in the future? 
Yeah, no, it's absolutely. It's a, a trend that we've seen seen a lot of in the past. And and we've been working with some of the biggest names in, in oil and gas, really, as they move into this or have been moving into this sector over recent years. These guys are great at building big oil and gas installations. But what they've never had to get used to before is handling a living organism. So during the fermentation process, but that's what we've been doing every day um, for years, designing our plants to be hygienic, really. That's the name of the game, to be able to be cleaned um, in place, CIP'd, um, and to keep the plant hygienic. So that can be from helping to select the right equipment, um, which is hygienic without dead legs um, and is, is hygienic by design, through to designing the plant to be CIPable. A different scale um, from what we've been doing for breweries and, and distilleries, certainly. So suddenly moving up to significantly larger vessels, equipment, which provides its its own challenges um, that we've had to had to learn to get around. But it's it's been a really interesting transition, and it couples our skills. Um, and expertise that we've we've honed for for many years with that from the oil and gas sector, which is a very different set of skills, but ultimately it brings brings a really good good project. Yeah, it's it's fascinating really to to hear that that long history back to the 1700s. Um, you know, the 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 brewers and distillers back then would not be thinking that you'd be working with um, you know oil and gas organizations to develop similar technology to what they were trying to develop back in those days. It's fascinating to think about that. Now, the the competition, I suppose, uh, between the the large food and beverage companies is is obviously pretty fierce, um, with a growing need for optimizing process and particularly, as you pointed out, things like efficiency and sustainability. So so how are you and your engineers uh, developing new technologies to to help keep your clients really ahead of the competition? So there's always a lot of heritage in everything we're doing. So brewing and distilling, all of our um, all of our clients want to look back at their heritage, and they want to make sure that the the products that they're producing are still as they've still as good as they always have been, or if not even better. So whenever we're looking at this for people, we're always taking that into account and listening to them to find out what they actually want to do. But what we also do with a lot of our customers is we we run brewery of the future or distillery of the future events, which allow these blue sky workshops to sort of take place, which our engineers love doing because it's a great way for them to develop their their skills and really think outside outside the box. It involves us joining lots of different, maybe emerging technologies sometimes, but also joining sort of the standard go-to technologies together in the best way possible to produce um, the the best factory for, for that location. And it could be different wherever it is in the world. It might be a water-stretched area where it's all about trying to get water savings, not so much about energy. It could be both of those um, coupled together in, in different locations. And it's it's that for our engineers here and for, for me, it's that Sometimes you can take real bleeding edge technologies and try and integrate them into projects. And sometimes you're just trying to use the everyday technologies that are out there to enhance enhance what you're doing. And it's not just about that as well. When you go to the supermarket now, what do you look for there? Do you look for just one type of beer or one type of, of whiskey, say? Or actually, are you expecting to see a whole range? A few years ago, it was one you you might have three or four different types of lagers from the big players now it's three or four from every single player um there so it's now trying to change these facilities that were built um 10 years ago 
to design them for um, what they call late product differentiation. So to be able to produce lots of different types of, of products from there, which is involving new technologies like late hopping um, in a beer to provide that hoppy, hoppiness to it uh, later in the process. So they can produce this craft, these craft products at a wide and varied um, scale as part of it. That's the, that's the biggest trend we're seeing at the moment, which again makes it really interesting because you're, you're working at every single end of the scale as well. Yeah, I, I would suspect the, the big companies as well are looking, as you rightly said, to compete with some of these smaller craft brewery t- style sort of short run batches of, of beers or, or spirits and, and, and want to have that flexibility within their equipment. So I'm guessing you're doing a lot to kind of provide them with processes that can switch very quickly from one product to another. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's got to be about being able to produce multiple different products from the same from the same line. Now, um, we did a, a food factory recently making canned ready meals. Actually, um, that was all about being able to produce. I can't remember how many exact lines it was, but in the hundreds of different product lines out of the same piece of equipment and being able to to handle that and some of the interesting challenges you get in things like that of being able to pump whole lumps of potato so that they come through in your curry without being mashed potato as part of it is something that is is a really interesting challenge to get around involves lots of trials to make sure you can do it and not damage the the particles within it and things it's some interesting challenges yeah absolutely it's it's uh it must be quite a difficult thing to try and get not just liquids but kind of you know semi-liquid materials into these things without them getting jammed up and and stuff I guess pumping is is quite a challenge yeah no absolutely yeah hydraulic design of the the plants that we we produce I mean it's everything we're dealing with somewhere along the line is a liquid um as part of it so it's key to what what we do um here um at Briggs in the design in designing what we do and making sure that's as efficient as possible and also making sure the quality's um there and we're not damaging um and degrading the the products that we're producing. Yeah, some serious challenges there for engineers, I think, in the future as as food choices and drink choices change. And uh, that sounds like it's going to be a real challenge for you and your team. George Thank you so much for taking the time today to, to talk to me. It's It's been fascinating. I, th- I think we could probably talk for quite a number of hours on this subject, not just on kind of the, the brewing and distilling side, but but also on the, the food and beverage industry as a whole. But it's been a real insight into into what you do on a daily basis and, and just seeing the involvement that engineers have uh, in this process. So thanks very much for joining me. No, thanks for having me. Marina, thank you so much for joining me today. Real pleasure to have you on the show. You come from a chemical engineering background, don't you? So so yeah. what drew you into a career in, in brewing and distilling? Oh, so Sitch, because there is a whole story on that. But first of all, we have to think that I'm Brazilian, as you probably had said in the intro. And in Brazil, we absolutely love partying. Like anything is an excuse for a barbecue. So in any gathering of our family or in any friend's soirée, you know, there is always something to drink. You always have something. And uh, I'm a chemical engineer. And when I first joined the university, I tried to brew my own beer and my own meat with some friends. Of course, it didn't taste great because I was unaware of all the parameters that are needed 
for a proper brewing, but we tried and it was a great excuse just to see each other in the weekend. So we tried, you know, different recipes, trying to put Brazilian fruits on the meat. So it was like an, an awesome excuse. And I discovered the world of the craft beers because in 2010, there was a big craft beer boom in Brazil. And I finally managed to experiment all the beers that I only heard about. So I experimented IPAs, stouts, and I fell in love with this world, you know, with the brewing world. And in Brazil, when you do the chemical engineering, you know, university degree, you're kind of pushed to work towards the oil and gas industry. And to graduate, you have to do a six-month internship. However, I did my internship at uh, an AB InBev brewery house. And I did a job rotation and I learned a lot about everything that is related to the brewing world. You know, not only doing the beer per se, but also the logistics of receiving the barley, the wheat, you know, how, the logistics of how to store, you know, all of the ingredients, how you can actually produce and you have to do in different parts, how you're going to move everything in a big factory, you know, what is up in the packaging world as well, because you can do the beer, okay. But when you have to put it into a can is a completely different world. And on top of that, I also had to learn about, you know, health and safety. I had to learn about even the human resources because we had to talk with the operators. So this is how I started, you know, from this oil and gas background as a chemical engineer into the food and beverage world. However, after I graduated, I landed on a job for a raw material supplier company. So I kept in the food industry world. And this company supply, you know, several raw materials such as cocoa powder, whey protein, milk, flavorings, colorings, to the big manufacturers of cake, bread, ice cream, snacks. And it was so interesting because every day I was learning. I learned how to actually put a flavoring on a potato chips. And it's such an interesting topic of conversation, you know, with the family and with the friends. And also it's a good show enough, you know, to your old uncle that has several bottles of whiskey on his shelf. And you come there like, hey, uncle, do you know the bourbon is not a proper whiskey? You know, <laughs> as, the, as the, the Scottish people do it. And it, it becomes an amazing topic of, of conversation in the family meetings. And when I moved here in the UK, you know, I started working as a technical specialist for a company that produces uh, industrial filters for the food and beverage world. So, for example, we make filters to filter beer, wine, whiskey, but also oils, dairy, uh, flavorings as well. So... Any day I learned more and more, not only about brewing and distilling, which is the topic of the, these, you know, this podcast, but we are actually learn a lot about everything related to the food, you know, to the food world. And when I first joined this company and I first started visiting the customers, I was, you know, I was baffled in a good way. It was so incredible to see that so many women and so many foreigners as myself were working on this area. So because of that, I was encouraged every day to be, you know, my authentic self, this Brazilian chit-chatter that jumps <laughs> around and throws confetti to the air and talks with 
absolutely everyone and has you know no sense of personal space but this is what <laughs> made you know me special on my work and because of that you know i'm making myself seen this is an example for example i was invited for this podcast so hooray <laughs> and because of that i you know every day i'm encouraged to do my best work to do the best work possible and also you ask you know what drew myself to this career and i have to say what is keeping myself in this career in the brewing the stealing world is that i love my job because i'm in close contact with not only you know the big breweries but also the craft ones and it's so interesting because every day I'm learning about the new production trends, what are the new machinery that they are using, what are the novel products. And I I travel, you know, all around the UK and Europe as well because I'm a technical specialist. So I go to the customer site to try and fix. My, my, my friends have this joke that I am your IT guy that goes to your house and fix your Wi-Fi router, but for the food industry. So I go there, I visit the customers, and I fix their problems. And it's funny, like, and, and as I said before, I really like this job. Because since I every day go to a different factory, my work never gets boring. Because I always have something to fix. I always have, a, like, a problem to solve, a new challenge to overcome. So, for example, today I may try and filter this cider who has been, uh, you know, adding a wheat sort of sugar to it and we have to remove the haze but tomorrow I, I may try and remove wax from citrus oils and in the next day I, I may try and remove visible particles from sugar so every day is something new and my days are always fun and interesting so if you are a new engineer and you don't know you know which area you like to go definitely the food and beverage world and the brewing the distilling is something really interesting that's awesome. I'm I'm just totally overwhelmed by your complete passion for the subject <laughs> and and the fact that it kind of comes from um you know from that sort of family background and stuff. I was talking to to George earlier on and he was saying, you know, what got him interested in in brewing was his father was in the industry and he kind of came through that way. So so there's clearly that that sort of um, Brazilian kind of drive <laughs> and passion yes. for it. But let, let's just talk briefly uh, kind of on, on a more serious note. Um, these days, the, the food and beverage industry is really heavily regulated and, and with health and safety as well as environmental regulations being at the forefront, and you've touched on that in what you were saying before, how important are these requirements in in the brewing process itself, and what what role do they play in the work that you do as as a technical specialist and and a, a laboratory manager? Well, I have to start this answer with a very sad news, unfortunately. So, in Brazil, two days ago, a mechanical died after he fell into a burger machine. And this oh, wow. burger machine had the security lock removed. And this happened in a very well-established meat product-making company in Brazil. Like, And we always think that, ah, it's never going to happen with me. But yeah. look at what happened. Someone unfortunately died because the safety measures were not, you know, attended to. So risks are genuine. Risks are real. We should pay attention to them. So we have to do you know, our risk assessments. You have to pay attention to our safe systems of work. 
And as you may imagine, for both the brewing and the stealing world, we handle you know, very hot liquids that are inside very hot pieces of equipment and very hot pieces of pipeline, or they are stored in pressure vessels, as you said, uh, you know, imagine handling a distilling column. You have to really pay attention, you know, how is the pressure inside it? What are you taking off? What are you putting in? We handle also machines that have, you know, like a conveyor belt. And if you don't pay attention, the conveyor belt can convey you to someone. So, sorry, to yeah. somewhere. So we deal with all of these filling machines and all sorts of apparatus that can cause harm if misused, misused. But not only that, we also deal with harsh chemicals. Imagine you doing, you know, 50,000 liters of beer. Of course, you have to use a lot of chemicals, a lot of caustic, a lot of acids to clean everything. And you can do like the production in the next day, knowing that no cross-contamination will happen from a pathogen. So we handle these equipment and you also handle the chemical compounds. So it is unfortunately a work that has a lot of risk. And we, we as technical specialist people, we must do the induction every time that we go to a new customer because we have to be aware of what are the risks that that company is giving to me so I can protect myself and not only protect myself, but I can also protect the others that are around me. So for example, if the era is ATEX risk rated, what you can do to mitigate right? Can you close the tanks? Can you put an exhauster on top of the factory so these fumes are not, you know, in contact with the operators? Or for example, if you handle any sort of chemical, can you not? Can you put inside an automated system? We have to pay attention to all of these because these will definitely make our work, you know, more safe. Health and safety, a risk, a good risk assessment, all of these are crucial for the proper way of working. And we have to remember that they got even more critical after the pandemic because our the health and safety people who prepared the workplace, who prepared the associate for the COVID challenges that appeared. And even more so with my area, because you know brewers and distillers, they are considered they are considered essential workers. We had to go to work every day when not furloughed. So for these people who had to go to work every day, because of course we were at home, of course we would want to drink beer. And we know that the, you know, the beer sales increased via, via like online selling. So we had to keep working. And for that, we had to pay attention to the you know, safety person to say like, oh, use this, use that, use this face mask, please keep you know, two meters apart. Only two people can be on the same room. All of these rules. So no. Health and safety is absolutely paramount. And last thing that I have to say is that, you know, environmental health and safety is such a passion of mine that I recently got a contractor national safety group safety passport. So Excellent. I've been trained on all sorts of risks that may, you know, happen in a construction site or in a food factory site. And this happens on my laboratory manager role as well. Because since I'm the manager of the lab, I have to pay attention on what is going on, what are we doing, what are our activities. 
and how I can establish a safe system of work, how I can do my risk assessment based on that, and how I can, for example, do my cost regulations, which are for the chemicals that are high risky that sometimes we use in our labs. Obviously, you know, as engineers, we we work in some very difficult locations. And we were talking before um, about the, the fact that I'd worked in the oil and gas industry and, you know, the the process of distillation of, of crude and so on, very similar in, in terms of what you're doing in the sort yeah. of brewing distillation um, side of things. And all of those risks, you're constantly watching out for, not just for each other, but for making sure that there are safe working practices all the time. So it's it sounds like there is a lot in common with many heavy industries that we wouldn't necessarily associate with with the beverage uh, making industry. So it's quite interesting to to hear about. Now, I want to bring you back to to something that's obviously very uh, a big passion of yours, which is the craft brewing and the micro brewing. They have become extremely popular and very commercially viable in the last ten years. And I know you mentioned that that they were incredibly popular uh, in Brazil. Are there any differences in the way that the brewing processes work compared to the kind of the big commercial processes? And what what sort of are the differences in terms of of coming back to the health and safety, but also in the processes of brewing and and distilling themselves? So I'm passionate because I do home brewing. (laughs) So I brew my own kombucha. I'm currently brewing my own meats as well. And you know, when you just trying to start a hobby after the pandemic started. So I just started to read some books like, hey, how can I do it? Okay, just grab some honey, just put some yeast, bada bing, bada boom, you know, Bob's your uncle, here you have it, a mead. However, when you come to a small, you know, to a small craft brewery, for example, first of all, you have, uh, let's say, a thousand liters to process. So you have to pay attention on what is the amount of energy that is required to heat up the water and what is the water temperature that is crucial for the yeast, you know, implementation and what is the flow rate that you have to use to get from this tank to another tank. So all of the things that we see in university, you know, all of, you know, the you know, the mechanical of fluid movement. I, I can only remember the name of the things in Portuguese now, apologies, but all the rules of thermodynamics and in like a transport phenomena, we we use these on our small craft breweries and we use these on the big breweries. So it's interesting because even if you are a mechanical engineer, you study that so you can apply all of these in the brewing world. And you can do your home brew itself, you know, at home. And but the the main difference it is usually the type of equipment that is used, and obviously the size of this equipment. Here in the UK, the craft brewers they are usually more manual because you know it's more cheap. <laughs> Sometimes the customer, you know, the the these the craft brewers don't have the proper capex to buy big equipment so they buy you know secondhand tanks yeah. and they buy secondhand pumps and they you know sometimes they oh can you borrow me this hose pipe from another craft brewery that is literally next to it it's funny because in london right now there is a mead brewery and a sake brewery that are like 
literally one next to the other. And I follow them on social media and I keep seeing them say like, oh, today I borrowed 50 kilos of watermelon from them. <laughs> so even the raw materials, you can have this kind of exchange with your yeah. colleagues. But normally everything is heavily manual. So they have small handheld machines, for example, for bottling. Usually there is like few people that do absolutely everything in the factory. Another example, a friend of mine that is working on this brewery back in Brazil, he does absolutely everything. So he goes to the production site. He actually brews the beer. He, clean, he cleans the tank. He supervises production. He is the manager of the other people who work there. He's also the maintenance mechanical person. So it is interesting to work in small companies because you learn a lot very fast because normally you have to do absolutely everything. And the real big companies, like the real big breweries and distillers right now, they are a beautiful thing to see. It's like a sore for tired eyes. And I love a shiny thing. I love something that is, you know, that is glowy and colorful and beautiful. So imagine you entering in a company and you see this mechanical arm, this robot carrying the beer kegs around and picking up, placing, putting the label. It is completely hypnotizing. It is amazing. For real, if you, if you, if you have the opportunity to visit a brewery or a cidery or some distiller, I highly recommend because it's magical. But also you can have absurdly big filling machines. Imagine doing like, 50,000 cans per hour. And it's a machine, it's like a carousel that goes very fast round and round. And again, it's very hypnotizing. And usually on these big companies, everything is automated now. So to clean all the pipelines, they just press a button, you know, in the SCADA system, and there's it. The, the CIP starts automatically. You know, all the valves are controlled remotely and so on. So they really apply the automation and the control on their factories. And they are pushing some innovations. So on my company, for example, there is a cross-flow filtration system. And now there is a cell phone app that you can use to turn it on, turn it off, see what is entering, see what is leaving, and calculate what was the volume you know, process, what was the yield, what is the temperature of the water that is necessary to clean a white wine versus the temperature that is required to clean a red wine that has more tannins and hence needs more caustic. So it is interesting how we are looking at the process in a more holistic way so we can guarantee that everything that we're going to produce is going to be delicious and is going to be produced with the highest efficiency possible. But regarding of all these differences, I have to say as well that all companies, small and big ones here in the UK, they really pay attention to the associate's well-being and the associate safety even more in this pandemic. It's um, it's interesting to hear you talk about those those differences because it's 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 that bringing together of kind of the art of brewing and distilling with the science. Of brewing and distilling, isn't it? And and you know you see these beautiful um, copper vessels that are hand made by engineers, uh, you know, for just purely for making whiskey. And to me, and I, I think to you as well, that they are pieces of artwork as well as functional pieces of equipment. 
it's so nice to know that that regardless of whether you're in this sort of the the big companies producing hundreds of thousands of cans a week or whether you're one of these smaller batch brewers that the that, that artistry and science kind of still come together to create this really fantastic um drink <laughs> i think that's great now as it's one of the oldest I suppose a biochemical process, would you say? Um, you know, known to society, it's certainly one that humans have had the most success in in exploiting over the millennia. How do you see technology developing within the brewing and and distilling industry over the coming years? And what what role are engineers going to play in the process of that innovation? What sort of innovations do you think are going to appear in the future? I have to say that there are three sorts of innovation first in innovation of products per se second in innovations of flavors and third innovations of how the products are produced and why i say that let's go back to what you said just a moment ago about having something very interesting and different things to drink i am a big mead fan <laughs> this is why i do homebrew but i also am a big mead fan from other companies so i follow them on social media there is a mead club that i'm part of that every month i receive a different mead at my home they did you know this watermelon flavor and every month comes something that i never thought about before and probably if you go nowadays to the supermarkets, you're going to see that there is not only normal whiskey, but there is rye whiskey, honey whiskey, apple whiskey, whiskey with lime, whiskey with passion fruit. And we love, love a novelty. So we love new products. And it's, it's, again, baffling that the amount of information we don't know about innovating products. You know, we, we don't know. And if you look at over the millennia, people probably did in you as well. So imagine nowadays, if you have the opportunity to grab a, you know, a time machine and bring back a Belgian monk, a British gin maker, an American bourbon lover, and um, uh, like a, a hippie person. <laughs> so imagine telling this Belgian monk that in 2014, there was a boom in sour beers and in flavored beers. Imagine telling this Belgian monk, like, hey, <laughs> you know, in some years from now, you can actually drink strawberry beer. How is that? Also, imagine telling this British gin maker that in 2018, the product would have a bounce back after decades of declining, only because berries, chilies, fruits, and colorings were being added to them. And also because now the package is pretty and you want to keep as a piece of decoration in your house. Or even tell an American bourbon lover that in 2020, last year, hard seltzers were the trendy summer beverage. It's just a sparkling water with alcohol and flavorings. Imagine that. Like People would never think of that perhaps five, ten years ago. Or even to this hippie person that in 2021, CBD oil is being used to make functional sparkling water so you can relax after a day of work and it's being legalized now. So I really think that the innovate innovation can come from any sort of engineering, not just mechanical engineering, not just chemical engineering. But I can give some examples. So you know chemists, not 
engineers, but chemists, they are creating liquid hop flavors. You don't need to use the hop. They're just making the, the flavoring. They deliver the bottle to you and you add to your mash and then that's it. You have a beer. Biotechnologists, they are nursing new yeast strains and new, you know, acidobacteria strains to make different sour beers, to make different, you know, bock beers. So just by using different yeast, not only the Saccharomyces cerevisiae, that, you know, is the yeast that everyone knows that makes beer, you can create a completely different product. Or that computational engineers, they are using machine learning to improve production efficiency. As, as someone was saying on the season two, episode six, if I'm not mistaken, of the Imposter Innovation podcast, they were talking about machine learning. And machine learning is being used on the food and beverage world as well. Not only, you know, for oil and gas or for the auto, oh, sorry, for cars industry. It's been used here as well. Also, mechanical engineers, they are making more modern and safe machineries for us. Sales engineers are connecting the producers and the customers with this end-to-end way of working. So, for example, my company does filters, right? However, I need to speak with the flavoring company and with the beer company that they are going to talk to each other in the end because I know that it's not only worth it to filter the beer and filter the flavoring because if i add them they're gonna be hazy and i have to filter them again right it's not efficient so right now the sales engineering are working in this end-to-end way of you know way of doing things and it's absolutely fantastic also the chemical engineers they are designing more safe and efficient brewing distilling equipment such as vacuum distillers as they have here on the cambridge distilling gin company it's considered like one of the most modern distilleries in the world because they use these uh, this vacuum distilling technology. Try it. You know, I'm not being sponsored. I'm just a fan. <laughs> also, environmental engineers are designing new technologies to recycle water, to recycle the CIP wastes. Or, for example, when you make beer, you have the grains, right? The grains usually are used to feed the cows to, to, as, a, as a cattle feeding. However, Nowadays, companies are grabbing these grains waste and making forks and knives. So instead of you using plastic forks and knives, you can use these and you can eat after. And automating engineers are making these modern, intelligent and shiny factories. So I really think that there is an official possibility in all fields of engineering. But not only on the fields, as engineers, we have to innovate ourselves as well. Because in the upcoming years, we not only have to be engineers per se, but we have to be people's leaders, we have to be production managers, we have to be inventors, we have to be good colleagues, and we have to be good people in the end. I think that that is an awesome thing to end our uh, absolutely amazing interview on. I am so excited to think about what is going to happen in the future. I, I remember when some of those first flavoured Alco Pops came out in the dare I say it, 90s, you know, and um, and was so excited about those, but never really thought about the engineering that went into the back of it. So you've got me really thinking, Marina, about the the way the future might be for, and I won't pour my gin uh, in quite the same way in the future. <laughs> <That's> so <laughs> thank you very, very much for sharing your incredible passion about 
this subject. And um, I, I hope it's been a huge inspiration to, to anyone who's listening today. So thank you very much for joining us. Oh, I say thank you. Thank you so much, Helen. And I dare say you may find me on LinkedIn. So you just type Marina Ferreira Paul Corporation, you may find me. So you can approach me and ask any other questions that you have after this podcast. I'm going to be completely happy to, to answer. And again, Helen, thank you so much for the opportunity. That's all for this month. In next month's show, we will be looking at sport and exercise, how sports equipment is designed and the role engineers played during the Olympic Games. So don't forget to bring your running shoes. You've been listening to Impulse to Innovation, the Institution of Mechanical Engineers podcast. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear from you. So if you'd like to share any news or any feedback with us, then please email us, podcast at imeke.org. All the information on this episode can be found in the episode notes.